0: Welcome to WeareTechnology.com's User Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, technology architect.
1: And this is User Friendly 2.0. I'm your host, Bill Sickens. Jeremy and Gretchen, welcome to the show. Hey, hi there. So, upcoming events. Got an email this week from the promotions people over at the Game Developers Conference asking if we were going to be there in person or virtually. Mm. And I responded back to her very candidly. That's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> and right now we don't know the answer. I think we might be leaning towards in person, but you know, it's going to be based on the state of the world at the time, but we will be covering it. I've also invited them to come on the show in the next couple of weeks to talk about the conference. Cool. So uh, get some more details on that front and see what it is. And we've got some great stuff this week on our sh- coming up here. Jacob Tober is our guest this week. He is from Australia, Melbourne. Boy, was that interesting trying to get the time zones linked up to do that uh, interview. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. We we got the times, but I didn't realize we were also off by a day. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yeah. Uh But uh, it was well worth it. He's going to be talking about some new technology in the health industry that they're working with at the gym. And has a lot of good information. product that really makes this a lot easier when you do your workouts. We're also going to be talking about the death of 3G this week. And a few Aww. other things like that. So we'll be getting back to that later in the show. But to start with, what do we have in the news? Whitecastle to hire 100 robots to flip burgers. We talked about Flippy in the past. Yes, we have. And now this is Flippy 2. Flippy 2. And uh, Flippy they're getting D. these robots to get them into a variety of the restaurants to take over the Fry Station. It's basically a robot on a track that's able to handle that aspect of things. Part of this is to offset the worker shortage that we've all been dealing with so that the back of the house doesn't require as many people. And also at the end of the day, with the costs of hourly and all that going up, it takes that out of the equation too and keeps the business more profitable. And I say more profitable because even with real people, they're still profitable.
0: But at the end
1: of the day, this investment, which is considered to be a piece of hardware, removes the need for a couple of full time positions. So those are the things that are driving this. And we're going to start seeing these, I think, a lot more in a lot of restaurants around us. Hmm. Study finds people trust deepfake faces generated by AI more than real ones. Well, that's not scary at all. No, not at all. (laughs) So deepfakes, for anybody that hasn't heard of these, is the ability to use AI to generate a video of somebody talking – complete with video and audio that you can't really tell is not real. It's completely fake, Mm -hmm. and it can be based on just a picture of the person or that type of a thing. This started with 2018 with NVIDIA when they had an AI that could put out ultra-realistic photos of people that didn't exist. And then from there, they built it into something where you can have videos and all kinds of other things, audio tracks, the whole bit. And... The other part of this that is very interesting is the ability to do this is becoming more and more accessible by just any of us. You could go out to a hosting service like Amazon Web Services or Google or one of those and be able to set up a server and be able to build your own deepfakes using that configuration and then deleting the server when you're done. So the actual hardware investment now is under $100, and it's not a hardware investment. It's shared time. But it would absolutely work for something like that. And anybody that has a technical know-how could do it. Not that I'm promoting that. It's just to show how easy it is to deal with this stuff and create these type of things to where you can get spoofed. And it's a lot easier to do it.
0: So are we about to have a generation of hardcore skeptics? (laughs) I think we're already there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think there's any about to in that.
0: (laughs) NVIDIA is set set to spend at least $10 billion to secure its share of limited 5-nanometer chip supply. What yeah. exactly
1: does this mean? Well, uh, you know, unless you've been in a cave, you know that we are in the middle of a chip shortage. And this is something that's affecting everything from manufacturing cars. I guess that's important to medical devices to keep people alive. I guess that's important. But what is important is I still don't have a PlayStation 5. Okay, I don't really <laughs> think that way, but there are those that do. But the Uh point of it is, is, it's across the board. We're starting to see it affect all kinds of different production, smartphones and all the rest of it. So companies that are dealing with cutting edge development of new microprocessors are also experiencing kind of a double whammy because it's not just about ordering something that you can't get. Now you're creating something and that's also making it more difficult. So the price is going up. But where this is important is the designation on that five nanometer is the wires inside the chip. So the smaller that you can make that, the more capability a Microsoft processor has and the less heat it puts out. So these numbers have been coming down. I remember when we got thinner than a human hair a few years ago, that was a big deal, and now we're well beyond that. And Mm -hmm. this type of a situation certainly increases the capability of the computer and processor technology they're putting out, but getting their hands on them is costing more which means it's going to cost us more at the end of the day. Hmm. The batteries in Google's Nest Cam and Doorbell won't charge in freezing weather. And we have a
0: lot of snowstorms right now. Yes, yeah,
1: depending do. on the part of the country you're in, where a lot of people are experiencing very cold weather. I know we are here too in the Pacific Northwest. We've been in the 20s at night. A friend of mine that lives back in the Midwest, back east, sort of, is saying that it's like negative 17 so uh and and you down where you are like you say you've been getting snow so it's cold Uh, in a lot of places and i'm finding that this actually extends i've got ring cameras and with them i'm finding that the batteries are going dead as well now they're not set up to where they recharge but they are going dead a lot faster so keep an eye on this stuff it is definitely something related to the weather and the weather does affect machinery electronics all of that kind of a thing if you have an electric car as a, for example, your mileage will go down in cold weather because when it's cold, it takes more energy to move mechanical parts. It takes more energy to heat the vehicle, you know, all of these different yeah. of things. So batteries definitely being one side of this, but we're seeing it kind of across the board.
0: And speaking of batteries, perfecting the electric vehicle battery recycling process is what? What's going on with that? Well, and this is something that I'm glad to see is being taken
1: seriously. Anybody that knows me knows my one big thing with electric cars is not having an electric car, but it's the fact of the pollution it creates from changing the batteries. Mm -hmm. So the lithium batteries have a limited lifespan, and when they are done, you have them swapped out, and there's a number of batteries in an electric car, not just one. And right now, those batteries, for the most part, are going into a landfill where they leach all kinds of toxic chemicals into the ground. Lovely. So you talk about replacing the carbon footprint, and that's great, but we're replacing it with, where it still takes more carbon to manufacture them, and now we have additional toxic chemicals going into the ground. Your lead battery from your conventional internal combustion vehicle is recycled. That's why you have a core deposit when you change them, you take them in, and what that's for is to ensure that you'll bring it back so that it can be recycled. We can't do that yet with electric car batteries. However, there is research being done. Schalmers University of Technology in Sweden has published a paper on this that's one of the first ones that are out there, and the first one that I've seen and been able to read that really goes through a comprehensive method of dealing with this problem. And while this is just in the exploratory phase right now, it actually outlines some ability to do this where it's affordable, for one thing, not over-the-top expensive, can be done at scale and actually does recycle the chemicals out of the battery and it takes them a step further where it's not just keeping them out of the ground but they actually can reuse components and reinvigorate certain things within it and actually build a new battery kind of like we do with the lead batteries so Hmm. it's definitely a step in the right direction they need as they call it continued optimization is crucial for the field And that's something that is very much the case, but you have to start somewhere, and at least this seems like a very good starting point. Cool. Egyptian researcher develops brainwave-controlled wheelchair for those with paralysis. You know, one of the things that I think very much of the field of cybernetics is the ability to enhance quality of life. Now, we've all seen the stuff out of sci-fi where you're going to have some cyborg raise up and... You know, go to war and his big exoskeleton kill people. But the reality of the situation <laughs> is there's a whole other non sci fi <laughs> direction yes, yeah. that these things can, can head. Exactly. And one of the big ones is quality of life for people with disabilities. This makes me think of Hawking. Yeah, this this kind of gave me that idea too. And the idea here is that the wearer, the operator, can sit in his wheelchair and basically think the motions that he or she would think to move their arms and their legs, you know, just like we all do. But instead it picks up that pattern and then it's able to react with movement in the wheelchair. So what that does is that gives the individual a lot more control over their environment. This is designed for people that are fully paralyzed. So they can't move their arms or their legs. So they wouldn't be able to operate it otherwise. And the robotic wheelchair reacts again to the thought process and what they're doing and their ability to do it. So it's, definitely something i think we're going to see a lot of quality of life improvements with cybernetics it's definitely something that's here so we need to deal with it and make the best of it that we can and there's a lot that it can really do this is user friendly 2.0 we've got a great show coming up don't go away we'll be back after the break welcome back this is user friendly 2.0 check us out send us your questions one user friendly on facebook and twitter we're happy to answer them today we've got a guest joining us he's the head of research of metric vbt Jacob uh jacob tober hey i almost said it right the first time <laughs> welcome to the show <laughs> thanks
2: bill Th- thanks for having me on
1: so what is metric vbt
2: Yeah. So I suppose the first thing is the acronym VBT. So that stands for velocity-based training, which is the idea that in the weight room, if you're training for performance or you're a power lifter or an athlete, when you lift weights, you know the weight of the bar matters, but also what really matters is the speed and the power you produce when you're lifting those weights as well. And so Metric VBT is a phone-based application that measures and tracks your barbell lifts and tells you how fast, quite precisely down to a hundredth of a second, how fast you move bar And that can then deliver all kinds of information to coaches, athletes, crossfitters, uh, and then give them informed data to help them make better decisions in their training, to optimize how much work they should do, whether they should take a recovery day, things like that. And so Metric uses computer vision to track barbells in space and precisely determine their position, their displacement, and then velocity and power.
1: So that was going to be my next question is how the technology actually works. And you kind of started to go into that there. So, do you set up equipment in the gym that would monitor your workout or do you just use your phone and have it watch you? How, how would this work?
2: Yeah, so traditionally, velocity based training is done with some sort of hardware. Uh, accelerometers are really common. So, you get an accelerometer device, put it on your wrist or strap it to the barbell and then do your lifts. And that would sort of take from acceleration and then determine your velocity and range of motion. Or the other option is use a linear positional transducer, which is a string device that sort of gets pulled out and untethers and unspools on the bar and then. The movement of the string tells you your velocity and power as well. And so our solution, Metric, uses computer vision on your smartphone and only your smartphone. So you might put it in a tripod, rest it against some dumbbells or or another bench in the gym, point it side on to your lift while you're doing the movement, and press record, and it does it all automatically for you. So no need for additional hardware or extra pieces. Just use the app on your phone. So this is something
1: actually very unique then in that respect, because you don't have to have A lot of additional equipment to make it work, sounds like. So, what gave you the idea and how did you develop this?
2: Yeah, so uh, my brother is a computer scientist. He's our lead engineer and developer. Uh, I'm a a sports scientist. So, I've been working as a strength and conditioning coach since I graduated from university in 2013, which is starting to show my age. Um, And we would live together. So, I'd coach and the shift would finish and he'd come into the gym and we'd train together. And so, we had one of these string devices and we'd play around with it and we'd do our training with it. And he's Always a lateral thinker. He's always thinking sort of sideways about stuff. And you go, well, why do we have to use these strings? Like, what's going on with this? Why's you know, it's, it, k- Bluetooth connection problems, and it would get in the way, and you couldn't do all your movements with it because the string was a limiting factor because it was only so long and could only go in so many directions. And he's so, like, I reckon I could do this better. And so we started playing around with dip- different options uh, to detect movement velocity without requiring any additional hardware. And his background is in uh, robotics and engineering and electrical science. Uh, And so he was like, let's try and use the camera on a phone. And so we thought initially about maybe getting like, there are um, options to do this using additional cameras, but we really wanted to make it so you could just use your smartphone, single camera, single point of view, so you don't need to buy anything extra. You can download the app in a couple of seconds, try it for free, and you can get started. And anyone around the world can then be given access to really good, high-level, professional-grade data in their training.
1: And how do you access your, your information after it's recorded? You said it can go back to a trainer, that kind of a thing.
2: Yeah, so uh, we're in, we're current, the app's currently in beta. So we've, uh, we've applied for a patent and we're successful with that last year. We're in beta at the moment, which is a public beta that you can join via our website, metric.coach, if you want to try out the app. Uh, and then we'll, we'll launch version 1.0 to the App Store on iPhone pretty soon in the next few weeks or months. From there, we need to build out those data storage features. So they don't exist yet on our platform, but we're going to work on those. So eventually, video will be stored, velocity data, rep counts, tonnage, all those kind of data points that you might want to share with your coach. Or if you are a coach, you might want to know about your athlete will then be stored directly within the app on the cloud.
1: All right. So, you know, life cycle of developing a new product, I suppose, with these type of things, it sounds like you're going to have a release for the iPhone before Android from what you just said. Is that correct? Okay, cool. And um, so, and let me ask you another question. What has it taken to put this together? I know you talked about uh, computer science and dealing with robotics and some of these other things, but you're really just using a camera on a phone. So it seems like it would have taken some trial and error to make that work or even conceive of it.
2: Yeah. So Davey's my brother has been working with us for about three years and he started working on this part-time probably two and a half years ago. And then he went full-time on it probably 18 months ago. So combined up all together, probably about two years of his full-time development has been working on getting the algorithm precise enough to be able to track the barbell to the hundredth of the second to within plus or minus one centimeter or a quarter of an inch uh, for American listeners. Um, And so to get that level of precision has taken us about two years and we are now so close to having it ready to go. So we're we're writing our our first white paper, um, internal validation study, and we've, spoken with Deakin University about doing an external validation study as well, which we won't be involved in. We'll just give them the consumer version of the app and they will then go test it against a 3D motion capture system uh, and then hopefully, fingers crossed, we do really well and start to see some really good val- validity and reliability um, and start building out maybe more exercises, more advanced movements into the system as well so that we can take that further. And so There are other apps in the, in the world of velocity, training, the world of performance tracking that can track barbells roughly and they kind of do general estimates of where the bar is and make predictions and sort of estimates of its position. But we're the first of the kind that we know of that's done this uh, with such precision to exactly track the barbell to the pixel within a video piece of footage at 60 frames per second.
1: Okay, so that's your pickup speed and that type of a thing. So you would need a phone that was capable of some of the later camera, you know, things. So if you have an iPhone 5, you probably need to upgrade (laughs)
2: think <laughs> we I think we I, I think we've mixed out the furthest back you can go is iOS 14.1 okay uh, and an iPhone 7 but some of the people who are using 7 on the beta are having crashes so we might have to move that up to an iPhone 8
0: yeah i, uh, I think you we can need do that a, now <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah i think so we're a uh, 13 or iOS, uh, iPhone 13 this year iPhone 14 coming out soon i think iPhone 8 is going to be fine yeah, it's time. and then it's when time. we move yeah and when we move to Android i think that'll be an interesting challenge as well cuz there's so many different devices um and android a little more open which is you know part of the benefit of it but that will make it challenging for us to then be able to go okay well there's more different types of camera and different frame rates and different uh, gpus and cpus running in the background so we'll have to accommodate for more things there so we'll need an even more robust solution which is why we've gone ios first because it's a little more contained and a little more controlled and for our demographic there are more people on iphone at this stage but android is on the path for sure
1: yeah no absolutely that totally makes sense All right. Metric.coach is your website. And you said that you're open for beta uh, signups at this point. So if somebody wants to do that, they just go to your website and fill out a form and they're approved. Or is there more of a process?
2: Yep. Sign up for the newsletter. Uh, We'll send you a welcome. And then shortly after that, you'll then get an invite to the beta. You'll have to fill in a little survey. So you'll need to be on iPhone. uh, You'll need to be training with barbells and plates, which is what the app is currently limited to. Uh, And then we just want to know a little bit about you so that we can sort of get in touch, get your feedback and get some ideas. Um, Most of the ideas for version one and and onwards have come from our beta users so far. We haven't really gone too far into development um, in what we want to build. We're just waiting to hear back. And people are emailing, this is brilliant. I wish it did this. Why doesn't it do that? And we're going, yep, we'll just put that on the list. Thank you very much. And start working on that as soon as we can.
1: All right, Jacob, thank you so much. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Have you seen
2: him? He's from
0: the...
1: Welcome back. This is user friendly 2.0. This is the part of the show where you ask questions and we give you answers. Hopefully <laughs> send us your questions. Five zero three seven six 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 two six four is the phone number 24 seven one user friendly on Facebook and Twitter or user friendly What questions do we have this week?
2: Is Android as private as Apple's iOS?
1: Yeah, this was an interesting question. I talked to our listener for about 45 minutes on this and we had a really good conversation wow. and, uh, The question actually comes from the fact that she's an Android user, has been for a long time, and Apple has been wrenching down their privacy things, you know, keeping very much a primary focus on that issue. We've heard about Facebook screaming about this because they can't track you online and all that is easy or at all in some cases. So the question is, what it comes down to is if you have an Android device, do you have as much privacy when browsing as you do on Apple. And right now, the answer to that is no. Android still runs the way that they always did. And you can be tracked unless you opt out of it. Now, Google has announced that they are making some changes to this. The specifics are still being discussed. And I don't think they're going to lock it down as hard as Apple did. But we are seeing some changes coming out in the next few years that will further secure Android devices
0: can I buy an exoskeleton? Yeah, you
1: know, and this question has come in, I think, something like 38 (laughs) times in the last month. (laughs) I've decided I want to be Mm. Iron Man now. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't think we're (laughs) quite there yet, but uh, these things do exist. And yes, you can buy them on the open market, but if you want to, open your checkbook because they're expensive. They'll run you the thousands of dollars, and there's varying degrees of what they can do. You have passive and active exoskeletons, Passive, basically you wear them and they enhance your ability to not throw out your back and have some lifting capability and that type of thing. And then the active or motor driven ones that are electric are starting to head in the direction of, as you say, Iron Man that can give some superhuman strength and other things like that. But a lot of those products are still very much in development, but I do think we'll see them eventually being able to be used. Now, a suit like that starts at about $90,000. And then goes up from there if you want to add the leather and the jet pack.
0: <laughs> can I still get a landline phone?
1: Another question that came in, uh, this was from a senior. She's moving. She has had the same phone number and a landline phone for 34 years. And mm-hmm. she wants to know she knows she can move her phone number, but can she actually get landline phone service? And the answer to this varies on where you are. In some places, it's still offered. Others, it's not. It is definitely a technology that is being deprecated now and will probably go away completely. Some countries have officially set a sunset on this. As an example, the United Kingdom, I think it's 2024. After that, everybody has to be on an internet-based phone. The landline phones will no longer function. And depending on where you are in the United States, depends on the answer to that timeline and that question.
0: How do I stop spam texts?
1: As we have seen the government actually start to crack down on the spam phone calls, and as they've been changing the system so that a lot of them are blocked, and it does seem to be helping, I still get a few, but not like it was a year ago, the spammers have figured out now they can send texts. And this is something that's becoming an issue. Now, legitimate companies that text you, especially through a robotic means, are required that if you send stop back to opt you out, The spammers don't honor that. In fact, it just confirms that it's a working phone number and there's somebody at the other end. So modern phones, both Android and Apple, give the ability to block numbers, kind of set it as spam like you would in your email, although it's called blocking instead of marking as spam. And you can use that function to be able to go in and block the number and stop that from going through. In some cases, it will also report the number. The problem is is that they just change phone numbers. So this is an issue that's going to have to be addressed. But the best thing is, don't respond to it. Certainly, don't click a link or call a phone number that's in the text message and block it. Hmm. Is DocuSign
2: in Zoom legit?
1: You know, virtual meetings, and we are certainly combining things. Yes, DocuSign actually does have a product that works with Zoom so that you can sign documents while you're on your Zoom call. Cool. So I guess the excuse of let me think about it and get the Docu sign will no longer work. <laughs> mm. Oh, uh, I don't so, know. It's gonna it's interesting. I don't think the era of in-person meetings where we fly around and go to the office and all that kind of stuff are ever gonna come back. There will be some of that, but I do think virtual meetings are here to stay. So the more features they get into a system like this, it makes sense.
0: Hmm. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to figure out how to block those texts. Yeah, yeah. I
1: still get some. They've stopped asking about my car warranty, but you know.
0: Yep. Well, there you are. We'll see
1: where that goes. All right. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Tech Wednesday topic this week has to do with 3G cell phones. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So we've been talking about 5G. They're rolling it out. There's been conspiracy theories. There's additional things it can do. It doesn't always work right, all that stuff. Latest thing on that has been that there is exclusion zones around many of our airports now for the 5G because of interference Mm -hmm. that it might have with avionics. We've talked about that in the past. Uh But the question that comes out is, what do you do with the old technology? Well, last week on the 22nd, if you were an AT&T customer and you had an older phone, you'd find that it stopped working. Yeah. Now, they've been announcing this for a while that this was going to come up, but this is the year that most of the cell phone providers are shutting down the old 3G networks. And the reason why this is done is because, for one thing, it is technically not viable anymore. You have to maintain it. It's using resources that can be better used for other things. The other side of it is is the frequencies that they use for 3G can be redeployed into the new 5G technology. And we have a finite number of frequencies, so you do want to manage them in a way that makes sense and not waste stuff. 5G primarily being run on what was the old C-band frequencies from the big satellite dishes that we had years ago. Hmm.
0: I didn't know that.
1: So where this is kind of becoming a problem, and it seemed very last minute in a lot of ways here, is that cellular communications are not just used for cell phones. So if you have a connected car or a connected alarm system or one of these other products that works online and it's older, it might also use 3G technology. So now with the shutdown, your alarm system no longer works. What about your Wi-Fi? Your Wi-Fi is a different technology. Okay. So Wi-Fi does not run off of a cellular backbone. So that's not going to be affected. However, if what you were connecting your Wi-Fi to to get internet connectivity was 3G, then you could have a problem. Now, that's unlikely because 3G wasn't really fast enough to provide a whole network, which is why it was primarily used for phones and callbacks. Another thing that's being affected by this is medical devices, like some, as an example, CPAP machines. Use 3G for their communication, and that will no longer work. Huh. So, across the board, here you're seeing things. Now, alarm systems are pretty straightforward to upgrade. There's a path to that. But if you have an older car with connected apps, that no longer works. And that may or may not be upgradable, you know? So, it might just no longer be something that you can use.
0: Huh. So, does the car company refund you for that? No. Oh. No. Interesting. Yeah. It, it,
1: it, it, <laughs> mainly because there's no. they don't guarantee that the technology that's in the car when you buy it is always going to work. And since the last car that was sold that would have used 3G technology is now seven years old, they're even out of warranty probably and all of that. I see. Yes. So it's just the connected features on that vehicle will not operate, which in some cases includes the emergency button I know OnStar and some of those old, the older versions of those systems also use this, so you do want to check it out. If you have something out there, you might want to make sure that it still works, because it might not, and you don't want to be depending on it.
2: Or paying for it or if yeah, it doesn't work. And have it exactly. So,
1: you know, def- just it's something to be worried about, not that we don't need anything else on that front. No, yeah. That's definitely the case. Another thing that we've talked about in the f- past is the ability to run Android apps on Windows 11. I finally was able to do it. Really? Oh, good. Yeah, it took some um creative engineering. <laughs> well, it now it doesn't count if you had to write the software to make it work. Yeah, yeah no, because
0: yeah, this, this is my true. mom's not going to be able to do that. And honestly, <laughs> there's been
1: products out there. BlueStacks is one of them that's emulated Android for a long time that uh, worked on older versions of Windows 10, 7, that type of thing. So it's not that it's all that unusual or even brand new. But having it as a feature that was built into Windows is. And the way that you do it, there's a couple of different directions, uh, and I dealt with this to try to set it up to figure out how all this went together. The official way for Microsoft is to go to the Microsoft Store and install an app for Android, the Android app. And that worked actually pretty well. It downloaded, it was pretty straightforward. I had to reboot during the install process. But it functioned. The one issue was is that it uses the Amazon instead of the Google Play Store.
0: Uh So,
1: for the most part, that's okay because most of the apps are available on both systems. But one of the things that I use it for, and a lot of people do, are games and productivity apps that require Google Play to be able to function. Yes. So, to install Hmm. Google Play... Was a little more involved.
0: <laughs> huh.
1: I did ultimately get it to work. And uh, for anybody in our audience that are programmers, you'll understand this. You have to go out to GitHub, build a compilation of the emulator, turn on virtualization manually, download it, build it, install it, and then get it to work.
0: Okay, that sounds like a lot of work.
1: Yeah, it sounds like something that I wouldn't be able to get done. Yeah, it definitely uh, requires a little bit of an understanding of programming or in some cases a lot. You have to put Windows in the developer mode to even allow it to install. There were a number of things there. It ultimately did work. And once I got it going, I'm still running. It works great. And Mm. I'm able to use it. But it definitely took some doing to get there. Okay. So (laughs) set it up. Let us know what issues you run into on that and go from there. The thing that we've talked about in the technology re- area is smart lighting. Mm. And these type of systems, I love them. A lot of people use them. They're environmentally good because they'll shut down your lights and not waste energy. And they're a lot of fun because you can get color changing bulbs and do different things based on different routines. And from that standpoint, it's a lot of fun. But this is something that's really coming into its own. And if you still have incandescent bulbs, you might want to consider replacing them with smart bulbs. Even the Philips system uses bulbs now that don't require the hub anymore. They'll run off a of Bluetooth. You can still use a hub, but you don't have to. And putting these things in actually can do a lot of good. With motion sensors and things, you can walk into a room, have it light accordingly. When you leave, it turns it off. I know that when I did my first upgrade, and I've said this in the past, which uh, was, was at my parents' house, They were on incandescent bulbs. This was a number of years ago now, and we switched over to LED, and at that time, the fluorescent ones. And at the end of the day, what we had was where the power bill was reduced by almost 50%, and Hmm. they last a lot longer. So even though the bulbs more expensive on the front, it'll last longer, and it uses less energy. So just an interesting thing there. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Diving into everything from this week, it's interesting. We're looking at new tech that's coming on the market. We're looking at old tech that's being turned off. And Mm -hmm. that just seems to be a part of things. Always has been, and I'm sure it always will be. But it affects more when it's on the cloud, I think. And as we were just talking about, that really is something to be concerned about, how you deal with that. All right, so let's talk Star Wars a little bit, Gretchen.
0: Yeah, I'm still seeing uh, in social media a lot of um, debate about Grogu's decision and, um, you know, the Boba Fett character. right, Grogu, Um, this would be Mandalorian, right? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But Grogu shows up in the Book of Boba Fett. Right. And um, Luke is giving him a spoiler for those of you that haven't gotten to see it. Uh, Luke gives uh, Grogu a decision to a choice and the way he words the choice is that basically it explains to Grogu well you live a long time and you know you'll just go on you know and blah 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 well that whole mentioning of you have a long lifespan i could see Grogu being a tactician and going oh so i could go off with the mandalorian while he's still alive do that, and then come back and get trained later on. That's what I'm thinking Grogu's thinking. Makes sense to me. Because if you're a creature that can live 800 to 900 years, why not spend at least part of that with somebody you care about? Uh, And then the other thing with Boba Fett, um, I think they are trying to follow Boba Fett's personality um like in one of the comic books mm-hmm. uh his father takes him out to ride what was that uh, uh, the mythosaur mm-hmm. yeah and he actually takes him out so the whole rancor riding thing kind of heralds back to some of that yeah and then um if you read some of the books um boba fett can seem cold and calculating and other times he's like he makes the honorable decisions so he's not a simple character. He's very complicated. So he's not just this cold-blooded killer that just grabs, you know, Han Solo and you know and takes him to um you know Java. Right. He's he's complicated. Mm-hmm. Complicated is definitely a good word for Boba Fett. Uh like he even ran into one of the clones. hmm He didn't go off and kill him.
1: Nope. Do uh, you interesting. Him- We'll have to let everybody see what they what they think of this. So, so the book of Boba Fett. And The Mandalorian, both series on Disney+. mm mm-hmm. So it sounds like it's worth checking out.
2: Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: And until next week, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014-2022. to 2022. User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. The views and opinions on this show are those of the host, and not necessarily those of the User-Friendly Media Group, Inc., or this station. Music licensed by BMI.
0: Hosting provided by WeirdTechnology.com. Podcast available at userfriendlynation.com, dot com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.